You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Ono Lit Class, the podcast that's been described on iTunes as like listening to two eighth graders try to talk about literature while giggling over poop jokes. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And on today's episode, we're continuing on with part two of our Patreon requested episode on Homer's epic double hitter with The Odyssey, the story of arguably the worst road trip in all of recorded history. Or boat trip. Or whatever. When it takes ten years and most of your crew dies horribly, I'd call it a pretty shitty time. In fact, even though due to the context of the poem, the term Odyssey is now associated with, you know, long-ass journey, it was obviously named for the character Odysseus, whose name literally means trouble in Greek, which is pretty on the nose, all things considered. And it just makes you think of, like, a grown, sort of ancient Greek man, only instead of wearing a toga, he's wearing, like, one of those little infant onesies that say, like, um, trouble on them, which is a really good mental image. Anywho, the Odyssey is considered one of the most important foundational works of Western literature because reasons. I guess because as we discussed on the previous episode, it's really, 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 really fucking old. And yet we're still talking about it and have been talking about it pretty dang consistently for several thousand years. In 2018, BBC Culture polled experts around the world, which consisted of, quote, 108 authors, academics, journalists, critics, and translators in 35 countries to nominate the stories they felt had most influenced history. And their choices included novels, poems, folktales, and dramas in 33 different languages, but at the top of the list was The Odyssey. If you're curious, because I definitely was, like, the top Moby 10... Dick was two. No. Three. No. 69. Uh, I don't know. Well, it might have been 69. I don't know. Number two was Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, three was Frankenstein. Four was 1984. Five was Things Fall Apart. Six was 1001 Nights. Seven was Don Quixote. Eight was Hamlet. Nine was 100 Years of Solitude. And then 10 was The Iliad. So we got a, a, quite a few Ono Lick class alums there in the top 10. We do. Uh, which just, just proves that the Odyssey is way better to read than the Iliad. That's what I'm taking away from this. The Iliad's in 10th, Odyssey's in 1st. We already answered in the previous episode that we both had been assigned the Odyssey in school. Do you have any kind of recollections attached to it? Any memories? No. All right. (laughs) Why? Well, because I remember that we read it and we were shown a cartoon in class And I viscerally remember seeing a cartoon Cyclops eat a bunch of dudes 17 years later. (laughs) Because it was like, what the fuck? So yeah, that's that's why I asked. I might have seen a cartoon also. I remember some sort of movie, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Some sort of movie, maybe. I don't know. Here, you you want RJ's version of the Odyssey from what I remember? Yeah, go for it. We're about right, to relive so, the so, entire so thing. So you helped me here. I now know the man's name's Odysseus, so that helps out a bit. Jesus Christ. Um, sailing around. He runs into Medusa in this one, yeah? No, oh, that's shit. not him. That's Jason, I think. Um, I is think there a fur coat in this one? No. Oh. Uh, there's sheep 
kind of. Well, the the, the mermaids are in this one. Sirens. They turn they turn them into pigs. Y- yeah, things get turned into pigs, not by mermaids, but yes, that happens. Well, sirens are like mermaids. Yeah, sirens are there. They're in here, but they don't turn they don't turn people into pigs. People oh. do get turned into pigs. I would have said they turn them into pigs. No, that they they sing to them. They come on over here, big boy. Yeah. And when the boys get over there, they turn into pigs and they cook them. No. But Odysseus, you know, he longs for his wife, so he don't turn into a pig or Incorrect. something. Um, Wrong but, on all but yeah, counts. yeah, the Golden Fleece shows up somewhere. That's Jason and the Argonauts, definitely. Medusa, somewhere in there. No. What other trials? It was Cyclops. Yes. Yeah, so Mark, uh, not Mark Summers. Mark what? What? Thanks, man. Mark Summers is uh, double there. But Summers, isn't that Cyclops' last name? Oh, Scott Scott, Scott Summers. Summers. Yes. Wrong Summers. His brother, Scott, excuse me. He's blasting away Cyclops. But eventually he gets home to his wife. It's been like 40 years or something. No, no half that. 20 years. And uh, happily ever after. I mean, most of his crew's dead, but he survived. I think on a dinghy. I think he loses a ship at some point. It becomes a smaller ship. <laughs> That's the Odyssey. All right, so we're going to compare RJ's Odyssey with the actual Odyssey. We'll see how it all shakes out at the end. <laughs> You're really sure Medusa's in there, huh? You're just convinced. And the Golden Fleece. So, I don't know. I like this Argonaut story better, I guess. What can you tell me is in Jason and the Argonauts? See, that's the thing. I'm not even 100% sure Medusa is in Jason and the Argonauts. I know the Golden Fleece is. I'm not 100% sure who kills Medusa. Might be Perseus. Perseus. Okay, see, it was Perseus. Yeah, so, you know, I've just taken all the stories and yes. I put them together into one. It's like a Hollywood movie in your head at all times. It's very exciting. So, uh, speaking of, on the last episode, you told us about Homer and how we may never actually know anything really substantial about him. And then you mostly talked about the proposed statue of Robocop. You got anything for us on this episode? So, in this episode... We go right back to the land of, you didn't say his name right, Homeros. Homeros. You gotta be Greek. Excuse me. A.K.A. Homer. Dateline may be around the same time as Beowulf, according to Megan. Shut up. But in actuality, around 700 to 800 BC, a smooth 1800 years before Beowulf. But you know... Real close together. We we went over this the last episode. I, they have we, shamed me. I have been shamed. As mentioned, the focus of today's episode is the Odyssey, which follows the events of the Iliad. In particular, the Odyssey picks up after the end of the Trojan War, presented by Trojan. As Megan will discuss, the Odyssey follows the trials and tribulations of Odysseus during his travel home after the fall of Troy. The Odyssey is the second oldest extant piece of Western literature, the only older extant piece being the Iliad. And if you don't know what extant means, that means you didn't listen to our last episode on the Iliad, and shame on you with starting with the sequel. How dare you. Yeah. Now, while there are some sequels that are better than the original, Terminator 2, mm. Godfather Part 2, Star Wars Episode 5, and Grease 2, that does not mean <laughs> you should be skipping Oh No Look Class episodes. Wait, have you seen Grease 2? Insubordination like that leads to detention. And not like the fun breakfast club kind of detention, but shit like Carrie. You're on notice. You truant assholes. I've never seen Carrie. I've never seen think. Carrie. So you're, you're it's just, high you're school just and bad stuff say, You're just saying things. I couldn't think of a unfun uh, you, you could think of a movie where detention wasn't fun. Well, I mean... <laughs> All these fun detention movies out there. <laughs> <Exactly>. Romanticizing <laughs> detention. 
I mean, to be fair, The Breakfast Club is the only detention movie I can think of offhand anyway. Well, you know what? I could have done. You could have Googled, Googled, Googled detention movies. Yeah, oh, but, but that would have just been too much work. So you just said Carrie. How about detention from 2012? How about, ooh, deadly detention from 2017? <laughs> now that probably wasn't very fun. It says deadly right in there. It's true. It implies that it was not a good time. Was that so hard to do? Instead of just being like, Carrie, they draw blood on her, right? That must have oh, been bad. They did that at, like, prom. Prom is like detention. <laughs> what happened at your prom, dude? Well. So, Odysseus, you may remember him as the king of Ithaca, Greece. He is husband of Penelope and father of Telemachus. 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 And Asoeus. He never comes up. It doesn't matter. Asoleus. You may also remember, not all that real. Unlike the Cyclops that shows up in this tale. Well, what? the Cyclops is real in a way. In that inspired by true events kind of way. In that some people only have one eye kind of way? No, because not only are they one eye, but they're big. Oh yeah, that's right. They're very, like, they're very big. Unhumanly big. Even one-eyed people, Meg, they don't get to be that big. That's, yeah. That's fair. Historians seem to agree that the prevalence of Cyclopses in ancient literature is likely not some random happenstance, but is rooted in some biological truth. You want to take any guesses? You you want to get stumped to death? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're not a fisherman, so I, I probably won't die. Um, what did people come across and went, holy shit, that must have belonged to a really big one-eyed guy. Wait, not like, oh, wait, that the, the uh, belonging, like an item? They would, people would find something. Yeah. And they look at it. And they're like, and they go, huh. Well, I guess that thing used to be part of a really big one eyed guy. A skull? Yeah, what skull? Okay. Uh, I don't know. Elephant skull. But those, those got two. No, they have they a got... nasal passage right in the middle that there's just a big open uh... hole. And so the nasal passages look like one large eye hole in the center of the skull. Thus, historians believe people came across these skulls, never saw an elephant before, and decided these skulls must have belonged to one-eyed monsters. And so for those of you keeping score at home, Odysseus fake, Cyclops, kinda real. Well, that's like, um, what was it, back in like medieval times or whatever, where they had like the questing beast and like, oh, they'd always have the pictures of like the fucked up animals. And they're like, what could these fucked up animals be? And it's like, oh, the neck. Of, like, a, a dragon, and the hindquarters of, like, a leopard, and, like, it's like, what the fuck is this thing? And it was, like, it's a giraffe. You put it all together, it's a giraffe. But it's, like, this picture of this horrifying chimera because you're getting it described to you in this weird way. So, you know, you work with what you got. So, Megan, are you team Jurassic Park dinosaurs or team feather dinosaurs? I am team feather dinosaurs. All right. Come on. Now, the, well, what are you? The, the other, what are you? No. Take a stand. No. Coward. There are no dinosaurs. Oh, God. <laughs> Galaxy brain take. <laughs> the other big thing that is real is that the Odyssey seems to take a lot of cues from the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was written a cool thousand years or so before the Odyssey. Holy shit. Like Odysseus, Gilgamesh goes on a journey that takes him to the ends of the earth. They both go to the land of the dead, a.k.a. Coco Land, presented by Disney. They both encounter Wayfinder kind of characters, and in general, the arcs of the tales are pretty similar. In short, it would seem as if old Homeros likely knew of the Epic of Gilgamesh 
before putting his own Odyssey together. Did, did Gilgamesh also have to, like, fuck his way out of several situations? I didn't get that far into it. I guess. I'm told. Pretty similar story. Ah. This is also with the caveat that all this was also rooted in an oral tradition, and that cultures interacted, and there might not have been one Homer, but a bunch of people who put the Odyssey together from their own respective backgrounds and understandings of retellings of old Gilgamesh and his conquest. And while the Odyssey has the Cyclops, old Gilgi fought off Humbaba, which translates to the terrible. Humbaba is a big old evil ogre. So not a Cyclops, but given that the Epic of Gilgamesh was written in Mesopotamia and that elephants really used to exist in that area and not so much in Greece, it's likely in that area where Greeks would have come across elephant skulls, which then turned into their tales of Cyclopses. See, people writing Gilgamesh would have been like, we, we know what that is. We, we done seen those. Oh, we've <laughs> seen them and we see them die. We know what's on the inside. <laughs> we know what's inside that thing. Just as a side note, Especially for my war and history buffs, Romans and Greeks did utilize elephants in war. Oh, yeah. But not until about 200 BC, so 600-ish years after the Odyssey. Ah. So they likely did not have one or would not casually come across one in a working relationship with elephants at the time. And so Homer probably never actually got to see an elephant. I forgot about Hannibal the elephant guy. Yeah. As for Mesopotamia... Especially for those of you non-history or geography buffs, by the way of a reminder, Mesopotamia is the historic area of Western Asia between the Tigris and the Euphrates River system. We all learned about that in middle school, high school, boat schools. Somewhere around there. Today we know this area as Iraq, Kuwait, and parts of Syria and Turkey. So a good bit east of Greece. Not exactly close neighbors in the 800 BC times. Then again, it was about 2,000 miles by land, so also not impossible. In short, it's not crazy to think that the two cultures interacted to a significant extent and that their literature and ideas did interweave. So for all you looking for something to write about in school, take this RJ posit. The Epic of Gilgamesh is really the OG Iliad and the Odyssey. And what Homer is known for penning is like the updated, made relevant, but spiritual sequel slash remake. Kind of like how Parks and Rec is the spiritual successor to The Office. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that really works, because it's not like Parks and Rec is following the same plot beats as The Office, and they were made by the same people, specifically. They say it's a spiritual successor. I guess. Whatever, you've never even seen either of them. One of the notable differences between the two works is that the Epic of Gilgamesh seems to only have been put to stone and clay tablets. I really thought you were going to say, one of the differences between the two works is that parts it rack. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas we have examples of the Odyssey being put on papyrus. Papyrus? The differences are not shocking being written almost a thousand years apart, but I think it feeds into the conversation we had on the last episode about how storytelling has changed in form and function over time at least in some ways, and yet has not really changed at all. I think it also highlights how before Homer, the oral tradition was the big thing, and then it was this Homer guy who, at least as far as we can tell with what exists, helped usher in this whole new way of telling stories in Western culture, writing them down. Gasp. Then again, I'd love to see some hipster stand-up take the stage with a big old stone and clay tablet to work out their new act instead of pen and paper. Sure, it's a shtick, but there are worse ones out there, Carrot Top. Yes, let's go after Carrot Top. That's 
Alright, who you want to go after? I don't know. I don't know who relevant <laughs> comedians are anymore. I'm old. Dane Cook? Nope, that's not even one. He, I don't think he does comedy anymore. Christopher Titus. I don't know who that is. Well, you don't know Titus? No. That was even a TV show. I don't know who the fuck that is. Uh-huh. I don't care if that doesn't fucking matter anymore, but I at least know who he is. Who's the one with the dolls? Oh, he sucks. Jeff? Something? Something. The, oh, he's the fucking worst. Uh, Dunham. Jeff Dunham. Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's the one. Him and his shtick. Here are a bunch of crappy comedians. I, I'd like to see someone come out and just be like dragging a stone tablet. Be like, all right, I'm about to pull out some new material here. Been chiseling away, guys. Working on some fresh stuff. Just to close the loop on Gilgamesh. The epic is considered the oldest surviving work of great literature and the second oldest religious text to still exist only younger than the pyramid text. The epic is a collection of chapters or short stories, and as far as the older examples go, they were all chiseled anonymously. One of the more complete but also younger examples of the epic is signed by Sin Lequi Unini. Oh yeah, I'm not touching that one. But that version was written about the same time as the Odyssey, a thousand years after the earliest example of the epic. Historians note that as you look between the different versions of the epic, especially from the oldest versions to the Sin, Laqui, Unini version a thousand years later, you see more up-to-date references and embellishments, things that are signs of those wandering storytellers who practiced the oral storytelling tradition, playing telephone throughout the desert in ancient times before Cristiano Ronaldo was tough shit. <laughs> it's impressive he can still play soccer after 2020 years. Yeah. I mean, look, and look so at him, looks that good. Look at him go. Oh, CR7, man. You know, it's not BCR. Oh, it's just not his first name. Cristiano Ronaldo. It's Cristiano. <laughs> I do kind of like the idea. Thinking back to the Homeric questions. Did Homer as a unique person exist, etc.? That maybe the Greeks just reworked some of the stories they had heard from other cultures and decided, you know what? Let's just say they all came from this awesome Greek dude and everyone is copying him. Some national pride. Yeah. I think in the U.S. we should start republishing all the foreign greats, like Shakespeare, Dickens, E.L. James, and instead say they were all written by one great American author. And I know Megan will agree with me here. Oh, no. Nicholas Sparks. You know, in a way, we kind of already do that with, like, Daniel Steele and, um, fuck is his name? Like, Rainmaker and shit? Oh, John Grisham. Yeah, like Daniel Steele and John Grisham and stuff. Like, we already kind of do this. <laughs> Yes, I cannot wait until the year 3020 when students are debating, is it possible that Nicholas Sparks and or John Grisham wrote Romeo and Juliet and Fifty Shades Freed? How can one man understand the love dynamics between teenagers and depraved kinksters to such a deep level of understanding? They will have what will be known as the Nicolastic questions. Oh my god. But before that happens in 3020... We are still here, sadly, in 2020. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, can't do nothing about that. And for now, we discuss what is attributed still to Homer and not Nicholas Sparks yet. yet. The Odyssey. <laughs> but it is true, we do it already, so maybe the Greeks did this. They're like, hey, we like this tale. You know what? We're going to say Homer wrote it. Uh, you see this one? Homer wrote that one, too. It's all Homer. 
everybody, it's Megan, popping in as always to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by our wonderful, beautiful, amazing patrons, including our newest member, Josie. Thank you very much, Josie. We super appreciate it. You are all bathed in the glorious light of a thousand suns. So we record these episodes fairly far in advance, but uh, I record these middle bits much closer to when the episodes actually drop, and so I just wanted to just touch on and then not screw up too badly with my words is that obviously we are going through a huge shift in time here in the U.S. with the with the Black Lives Matter movement and protests and everything and show-wise we've been uh pretty active about it on twitter i've been really active about it on personal twitter and uh, we decided to donate half of last month's patreon funds to the bail funds um it was actually one of the ones where they they spread it across like the different um bail and mutual funds is really cool useful site um i'll have a link to it in the the show notes because you know they definitely still um need money but obviously you know that that, that's not where that kind of thing ends and we are a goofy ding dong show and the aim of this show is you know for the most part to provide people with goofs and ding dong jokes but we also do impart you know knowledge and whatnot from time to time and I think it's also important that we do make the pledge to be better about our representation. That's something that we can do that makes a difference, that we do better, that we don't just knock down the shitty white uh, authors of the literary canon, as we are fond of doing, but that we do uplift more unnoticed, you know, black authors and other marginalized authors of the literary canon, but black authors tend to, by and large, be very marginalized authors of the literary canon that people are not as aware of or were not taught in school. It was only just a few episodes ago that when we did If Beale Street Could Talk and I said, you know, that I had not read James Baldwin when I was in school, that I was not exposed to him and that even if this is a goofy haha ding dong show, we can still work to be better about exposing people to those authors. And that's something that we are going to pledge a greater commitment to. So, as always, in these crazy-ass times, stay safe. No matter where you are, if you're at home, if you're protesting, you know, whatever you're doing, do it safely, hang in there, and um, enjoy the rest of the episode. The Odyssey. As it is odysseyed. Our poet orator once again invokes the power of the muse to tell us the tale of Odysseus and his sex-riddled trials and tribulations. So, remember Troy in the big ol' war that was such a huge deal that even the gods were choosing sides and getting all up in each other's shit about? I remember Brad Pitt. Y- yeah. Ten you years hot. Yeah. Ten-year well, ten war hot. You, you thought it was ten-year war. Also, want to make a quick correction. We left out some some very significant ten-year war hot people, including... Gal Gadot? No, we said Gal Gadot. Natalie Portman? You said Natalie Portman. Oh, well, no. I got mine in. Yes, we, I did not get my the true love, the man of my dreams, Oscar Isaac. That is a, a huge misstep on my part. Oscar, if you're out there, I'm sorry. Anyway, so yeah, it's been about uh, 10 years since that shit happened. That's over and done with. And everyone else is either dead or long since gone home. Except... Except... Except for Odysseus 
who after 10 years of fighting in Troy has taken his sweet time getting back to his wife and kid, who, well, he's now a grown-ass adult because it's been 20 gosh dang years, and is currently chilling on the island of Ojija. 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 I looked up this pronunciation and immediately forgot it because I didn't write it down. Ojija as the cabana boy of the goddess Calypso. But more on that later. For the moment, we begin in media res, as is Homer's signature style, I'm assuming, based on this in the Iliad, because sure, that counts, at Mount Olympus, where the gods are bickering, because Greek gods and goddesses have two modes, fighting and fucking, and if they're not doing one, they're doing the other. Are mortals all that different? I don't know, mortals are sometimes doing things that, that are not fighting or fucking. Gods are literally only, they got two settings. Zeus is uh, going on some tear about Agamemnon coming home and getting murdered, but like, ugh, whatever. If you listen to the last episode, then you know that old Aggie was kind of a terrible little piss baby, so like, no big loss there. More importantly, Athena is nagging him about her favorite Grecian warrior, who we recall from our adventures in the Iliad, was none other than Al Pacino. I mean, Odysseus. <laughs> Dunkachino. I thought you were going to hit me with some more of any given Sunday yelling. I did that last else. time. Yeah. You could do it now. You've seen it. I don't remember anything from it. Now, except him being the, the like, Jam- Jambalaya. <laughs> he says Jambalaya. Jambalaya. Uh, go back to the last episode for context. <laughs> she thinks it's bullshit that the poor guy's been stuck trying to get home for 10 years just because Poseidon, god of oceans and whatnot, decided to be mad at him for some reason. We'll get there, eventually. But in the meantime, RJ, you want to throw out any guesses why Poseidon bears uh, Odysseus a ten years at sea level grudge? He fucked somebody. No. He chose not to fuck somebody. No, not in this case. (laughs) He peed in the ocean. (laughs) No. That would be pretty funny, though. Just digging a piss in the ocean. It's like, you cursed for ten years! How dare you pee in my ocean! He's a pescatarian. These are all good guesses, but no. Dick ain't big enough. Uh, no, actually, as we're going to explore, his dick is very good. Exceptional dick. Fabulous dick. So, no. <laughs> I'm done. Alright, then I guess we'll just have to find out together. So, um, Athena's like, can, can we please send someone to Calypso's Island and tell her to release Odysseus from her sex dungeon? And Zeus is like, eventually, I'm not that invested. But Athena is. So she leaves Olympus in secret and disguises herself as Men- Mentes, Mentes, Mentos the Freshmaker, an old friend of Odie's, and uh, heads not to Calypso's sex island, but to Odie's house in Ithaca, where she finds his wife Penelope and son Telemachus, currently dealing with the fact that their house is overrun with exactly 108 suitors, which is a weirdly precise number, but okay. Because, you know, 10 years is a long time. I mean, technically 20 years, but, you know, 10 years was the war, and now everyone else has been back from the war for 10 years and able to report that no, Odysseus did not die in a heroic and or sexy manner fighting the Trojans, but must instead have perished at sea, like a punk. Which means Penelope is considered single, and even though she's absolutely not ready to mingle, that has not stopped over 100 dudes from just hanging around her house in the hopes that she'll fuck one of them. Telemachus relates all of this to, to Mentos the Freshmaker slash Athena, who's like, wow, that sucks a lot, but hey, I wouldn't give up hope on your dad coming home just yet, wink wink. But in the meantime, I recommend going on a life-changing journey of self-discovery of your own to see some of your dad's old war buddies. So you could get a decent father figure to teach you to 
play catch with you or, or how to murder because like you're 20 years old and you're not doing shit about these freeloaders eating all your food and trying to bang your mom. And Telemachus is like, yeah, fair point. So part of the reason all these suitors are even here is that Penelope is queen of Ithaca. And so Ithaca needs a king, technically speaking, even though it's been fine without one for 20 years now, but whatever. And so there's this expectation that with Odysseus presumed dead, she's going to have to pick someone eventually. In order to not do that, Penelope devised a cunning plan to stall for time. She's not going to marry anyone until she finishes weaving a funeral shroud for her elderly father-in-law, but she unravels all her work at night to make sure she never finishes. The suitors, as you might imagine, eventually catch on to this. Telemachus holds a town meeting where he calls for the suitors to just fuck off already, and they all are like, make us, you little mama's boy. And Telemachus is like, I will, and I'm going to find my dad, and we're both going to kick all 108 of your asses. And they're like, well, yeah, okay. But Telemachus is undeterred, and with the help of another old friend of Odie's named Mentor, who is a wise old, well, Mentor. It's actually literally where we get the word from, which is kind of cool. Minotaur? No, Mentor. Minotaur. No, different. Mentos. That was before. <laughs> this is different. This is also just Athena in disguise, but as a different person. She was Mentos. Now she's Mentor. She's Mentor. Yes. Men. I don't know why you're saying it that way. So Telemachus, with the help of Mentor, who's just Athena again, sets sail so to- So she's like Sheik. Yes, she's like Sheik, exactly. If, if Zelda were a goddess instead of a princess. They set sail to Pylos to have a mini coming-of-age road trip while his dad bangs it out across the seven seas. But we'll get there. Eventually. Because yeah, the whole beginning of this story is Telemachus doing stuff before we ever get to Odysseus. And- I have zero recollection of this, and I think maybe it gets left out of, like, the high school classroom edition in favor of just skipping straight to Odysseus. I don't know. I would ask you if you remember, but we got your version of the Odyssey already, so... I'm waiting for the Golden Fleece. <laughs> yeah. Either way, Telemachus sails to Pylos, Pylos, I don't know, and meets up with Nestor. Remember Nestor? He was a Troy. He had the brilliant idea of having Achilles' boyfriend go into battle dressed as Achilles, which definitely went super great for everyone involved. Good old Nestor. You gotta try different plans out. You always get him next time. <laughs> we'll get him next time, champ. Your boyfriend kind of died, but, you know, we won. We beat Troy. <laughs> anyway, Telemachus... The gotta be a shorter name for him telly yeah telly we're just gonna call him telly telly asks nestor if he has any idea what happened to his dad nestor's like man that trojan war though oof, what a time that sure sucked a big one your dad was pretty dope though he then gets immediately sidetracked and instead tells a rambling story about agamemnon again he was the leader aggie of, yeah aggie aggie was the leader of the grecian military and that he was kind of shitty and his brother menelaus of sparta whose wife, Helen, either ran off with or was kidnapped by, depending on what version of the myth you're reading, Paris of Troy, and started this whole fucking war in the first place. Anyway, according to Nestor, Aggie and Men... Many? Sure. Uh, they were arguing about whether to just fuck off and go home or do some sacrifices to the gods first. Menelaus was like, no, that's stupid. The gods were a pain in the ass this whole time and left with a bunch of soldiers who agreed with him. Aggie and the soldiers who took his side, including Odysseus, stayed behind and, I don't know, stabbed goats, or whatever it was they did for the gods back then. This was a bad move, as Menelaus and co. made it back home in a safe and fairly timely manner, whereas Odysseus disappeared, and Agamemnon came home to find his wife cheating on him and then got murdered. Don't feel too bad, though. If you read the surrounding myths with him and his wife, he kinda had it coming. 
Telly's reaction to this is, not unfairly, Wow, the gods really are kind of bullshit, huh? And Mentor, coming close to blowing their whole goddess in disguise thing is like, Hey now, let's not get down on the gods. Some of them are super cool, actually. You know, I heard that Athena's pretty rad. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nestor goes on to talk about how Aggie's son eventually avenged his dad's death, and Telly should learn a lesson from this about how to kick all the dudes skeeving on his mom out of their house. And Telly and Mentor take off to Sparta! Once they get there, Menelaus does not kick them into an open pit, but instead throws them a kick-ass party. Yay. Only to become a major downer. Boo. Talking about how it sucks that his brother is dead and his friends died in war and that he misses Odysseus perhaps most of all. This, yeah. This makes Telemachus cry. And wow, Spartan parties are rough, y'all. Luckily, it's Helen to the rescue. Yes, that Helen. The one who launched a thousand ships, ten years of war, yada yada yada. Ah, Bodie McBoatface. Bodie McBoatface, yes. How many boats does her face look like? That's not a thing. Many. (laughs) She seems pretty happy to be back in Sparta with Menelaus, though. How can you tell with that face? It's it's smiling boat, I don't know. Look at that stern. I hate you. And uh, any guesses on how she saves the party? Tosses an anchor at him. That doesn't even make sense. Steamboats right through him. Nope. Craps on the floor. She brought a nice wine. Yeah, yeah, she just takes shit on the floor. She's just like, hey guys, check this out. I know you're really sad about your dad, but hey, get a load of this. And then she just takes a hot shit on the floor. <laughs> they all start laughing. She roofies everyone. Now, that is the plot to the hangover. Yes. She she slips them all drugs in their wine to make them forget about being sad. And they tell fun stories about that time Odysseus had them hide in a big wooden horse to fool the Trojans. And Helen realized it was a trap and tried to trick them all into getting killed. Ha <laughs> ha. Such wacky times they had. And then they all pass out. In the morning, as they nurse their hangovers, Telly explains to Menelaus that he has come in search of news of his dad. And Menelaus tells him a story about how, on the way home from Troy, he was stranded on the island of Pharos. In order to get off, he had to capture Proteus, the god of the island. A nymph helps disguise him and his men as seals, and they flop all over Proteus and, I don't know, like, annoy him into submission, I guess. And just like, oh, 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 oh. No. No. How, how do you think it, that they did it then? I don't know. No, you don't think Not it that sound, though. Oh, oh, oh. That's the sound seals make. Not back then. They hadn't invented that language yet. They were still speaking middle seal. Yeah. Middle seal. Yeah. Not ancient seal. No, they've been around longer. Ah, of course. So, you know, their epochs are longer than ours. Makes sense. Well, either way. (laughs) Ah, there we go. (laughs) So they do that. (laughs) And Proteus reveals that Menelaus is trapped on the island because he left Troy without being a good boy and offering a sacrifice to the gods. But if he goes and does that now, he can go home easy peasy. They could have just fucking told him that, but them's Greek gods for you. It's never easy. Then Menelaus asks about the fate of some of his friends, and Proteus tells him that most of them made it back home, but A, his brother is dead. B, little Ajax, remember him? He was like big Ajax, but smaller, is also dead because he raped and murdered the Trojan princess Cassandra on the altar of Athena. So don't feel bad about him either. Fuck that asshole. And C, Odysseus is not dead, 
but trapped on the aforementioned sex island. And Telly is like, um, okay, cool. And then he takes this information that his father is indeed alive and being held prisoner, but in a sexy way, and decides to go back home and make a new plan, I suppose. Not sure. Whatever. Back in Ithaca, the suitors find out about this through convoluted means that, let's face it, none of us actually care about, and decide to get together and sail out to ambush Telly before he has the chance to make it home, because they hate him and want to keep sponging off his mom and also eventually have sex with her. I have to say, considering that there are over 100 of these guys, and they're all technically in competition with each other, they function astoundingly well as a team. Just works. Yeah, Synergy. I guess. Anyway, this plan gets back to Penelope, who freaks out and prays to Athena, who's just become everyone's favorite goddess lately, to save him. Athena hears her prayers, even if she's pretending to be Mentor, the, the cool older guy who's definitely not hiding anything important, and assures Penelope that she's got her son's back. And you're just gonna have to take her word for it, because that's the last we see of Telemachus for a good long while. It's Odysseus time now, baby. Time for stabbing, sailing, and generally making very poor decisions that somehow don't get you killed. Woo! Yeah. After what I have to assume is just endless nagging, Athena, who has seriously been working overtime on behalf of the Odysseus family, gets Zeus to cave and send Hermes to Calypso's island with a message to let Odysseus go. He mandates that Odie will have to face some trials at sea, but that at the end of it, will reach the island of Scaria, home of the Phaeacians, who will help get him back home. Upon receiving this news, Calypso is at first less than pleased that she has to let her favorite Grecian boy toy go, but Zeus is the boss. So she helps Odysseus build a raft, gives him a farewell slap on the ass, and sends him on his way. It seems like Odie is finally on his way home. Except... Except... Except that Poseidon finds out about it and is like, I don't fucking think so, and creates a storm to drown Odysseus, which would have been the end of him. Except... Except... Except that death works hard, but Athena works harder, and she deus ex machinas our boy towards the safety of land. Battered and exhausted from fighting the waves, oh, and also nude. His battle with the ocean has left him super naked. We can't forget that, that's important. Odie drags himself out of a stream by some bushes and passes out. That happens. He wakes to the sound of screaming ladies. It turns out that this stream is where Nausicaa, Princess of the Phaeacians goes with her maids when it's laundry day to frolic around also naked when washing their clothes. So everyone is naked, confused, yelling, and generally freaked out. So hey, Nausicaa, this is the Miyazaki thing? Uh, the name is the same, yes. They get naked? N no, it's on- Miyazaki! Un no, this is not connected. It's yeah, not connected. It's not- th that story isn't- Nausicaa the Valley of the Wind is not a Greek adaptation- Thing. I know what's happening here. I don't think you do. I was going to make a joke about everyone being naked, confused, and screaming. Sounds like my first college party. But it Ay. wasn't. No. Loser. It, it was, Yeah. I know. It was like my first five college parties. It was hard to tell when one ended and the next began. <laughs> like you just kept going and going and going. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> you, you had to find your way out or fuck your way out, you know? Why would everyone keep screaming? Go Gators. Oh, God. <laughs> That's all you're allowed to yell, by the way. Ah, got it. Those those are the rules, I imagine. One person can yell go, the other person can yell Gators. Like Marco Polo? Yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, Odie tries to convince them that he's not the scary variety of naked man, and that he's just been through a lot, and is looking for some help. Luckily, he's pretty hot, and this is just me guessing here, presumably also hung like a fucking horse. I mean, you know, context clues and all. 
So Nausicaa and her maids are like, okay, cool. Also, we're down to like bathe you if you're into that. And Odysseus is like, I, I really would actually just like some pants and also a nap, but thanks. It's just really weird that they're just like, like, yeah, cool. We'll help you out. Also, do you want us to bathe you? Because we'll do that. Why does he want pants? We're DTB. We're down to bathe. Just let it all hang out, man. <laughs> it's free. Feels better that way. It, does, it doesn't feel vulnerable. I, I don't have, I don't experience this. So I have to ask you. It's like, you got it all hanging out there. Yeah. What a hang. Yeah, but what if something hits it? You hit back harder. In my experience, from what, I've se- from what I have seen, that's not what happens. That's what you should do. <laughs> I have watched you accidentally sit on your own balls, and I know that's not what happens. And I was wearing something <laughs> at the time. Fair enough. They were held in the danger zone. <laughs> so they take him to the Phaeacian Palace, where he prostrates himself in front of the queen and king. And Athena is there, because of course she is, secretly doing some magic tricks to make him look impressive and potentially magical, and also hotter. She specifically is like, I'm gonna make you look even sexier. And so they treat Odysseus to a feast and a party, and then they're like, hey, are, are you a god disguised as a mortal by any chance? Because that happens, like, all the time. Are you Athena? If, if you're Athena, you have to tell us, or it's entrapment. That's not true at all. That's absolutely true. And Odie's like, nah, I'm just a simple man trying to make his way home. And uh, he tells a quick version of how he ended up on their island. And they're like, okay, that's also cool. Want to marry our daughter? And he's like, um, I'm t- technically spoken for. And they're pretty chill about that. And they even offer to help him get home, as Zeus predicted they would. Then there's another feast, and they bring in a blind bard who's definitely not Homer's self-insert character to sing about Odysseus and Achilles at Troy which makes Odie cry. And the king's like, yo, read the room, and hustles him out to instead do a bunch of games like wrestling and and boxing and stuff. Then Homer does that thing where he has to list the name of every guy who did every sport and and who won the thing, because I'm starting to think this is the only way that he could achieve climax. Prove me wrong, classic scholars. Hmm? After this, Odie asks the bard that's definitely not Homer to sing about that time with Odysseus and the wooden horsey, And he does. And it just makes him cry even more. And finally, the king is like, okay, what is with you, dude? Why does hearing about super cool war hero Odysseus make you so sad? And Odie's like, because I am Odysseus. Whoa. It's time you heard my tragic backstory. Yes. And he tells them all of his adventures up to this point, starting with the end of the Trojan War. And that's 10 years of adventuring we have to get through. So here we go. Deep breath. Hang on tight. (gasps) At first, after leaving Troy, they plunder some villages. Things are going pretty okay. Except then one village fights back pretty good and kills a lot of Odie's men. They sail away and are hit with a storm, after which they land on the island of the Lotus Eaters. The Lotus Eaters, as the name implies, seem like a bunch of chill guys who sit around eating lotus flowers all day, stoned out of their minds. Odie's men start doing this and suddenly forget about wanting to go home or do anything but get super baked on that sweet herb. I mean, they weren't smoking anything. They were were eating. They were the lotus eaters. That's, nope, that's gross. That's bad. The other thing was better. The lotus eaters are like literature's first lazy stoners. And also the birthplace of the well-used, this may seem like a paradise, but it's actually a prison of the mind, man. Whoa. Trope. (laughs) Odie manages to wrangle most of his crew off the island, but that might have ended up being a mistake because the next place they end up is the land of the Cyclops. 
and or elephants, as the case may be. Giant one-eyed sheep herders. They enter the empty cave of one such cyclops and find it full of sheep and milk and cheese. And Odie's crew are like, we should steal this stuff and then get the fuck out of here. And Odysseus is like, nah, that's some weak bitch shit. We will stay and barter with the Cyclops, who I am sure is a chill and hospitable dude. Do you think the Cyclops is a chill and hospitable dude? No, he has to look you straight in the eye. Does have two eyes. That doesn't answer my question. I'm sure he's reasonable. No. It turns out the giant monster creature is not, in fact, a chill and hospitable dude. Nor is he reasonable, and he traps Odie and his men in the cave and eats a few of them for good measure before going to sleep. So. Is this like that painting? Which painting? <sighs> no, that's. What is that? Crutz Kronos devouring his son. That Kronos. Jupiter. It's like Saturn. It's either Kronos or Saturn. Yeah, I think it's interchangeable. Saturn eating his son. Yeah, I think Saturn and Kronos Our is interchangeable. Father. Odysseus is at first DTMACIHS, down to murder a Cyclops in his sleep. But he realizes that the Cyclops is the only one strong enough to move the boulder that has them trapped in the cave, so they can't kill him yet. I'm sure the dudes the Cyclops eats for breakfast the next morning appreciate this moment of cunning on Odie's part. He leaves for the day, making sure to secure that big old cave boulder, and Odysseus gets to work. He finds a big old chunk of wood, carves it into a big pointy stick, and when the Cyclops comes back that evening, Odie's like, Hey, before you eat any more of us... How about we talk wine pairings? I've got a lovely red right here. Cab Sauvignon, perfect for Greek dudes. And he gets the Cyclops hammered on wine they just happen to have with them because convenient plot reasons. The Cyclops is like, dude, who are you anyway? Like, who even are you? And Odie's like, I'm nobody. Don't even worry about it. And the Cyclops passes out. And Odysseus stabs him in the eye and blinds him. And the Cyclops screams and the other Cyclopses... Cyclopses. Cyclopi. The Cyclopi gather outside his cave like, yo, Polyphemus, because that's his name. You, uh, you okay in there? And he's like, I'm dying. I'm being attacked. And they're like, oh, shit, by who? And he's like, nobody. So the other Cyclopi are like, oh, Polyphemus, you kidder. Shut the fuck up. Some of us are trying to sleep. I don't know why he couldn't have just like elaborated that it was a group of small Greek men. Like, like it's a Greek guy and his name is nobody, but I don't, I don't know, maybe he was embarrassed. Very possible. Yeah. Either way, Odie and co. hide from Polyphemus and he can't kill what he can't find, so the only option he can think of is to open the cave and let his sheep out to graze like usual, and hopefully catch Odysseus and the gang as they try to escape. But our boy thought of that too, and he and his men tie themselves to the bottom of the sheep, which, okay, yeah, sure, why not? And they escape without a hitch. Or they would have, except... Will Smith showed up, and so they had Hitch all along. Wow, okay, that's not where I expected that to go. Um, no. <laughs> Hitch. Hitch. Yeah. Hitch. Yeah. Who could forget the, the best part of Hitch when Will Smith looks into the camera and goes, Hitch. Hey, tells Kevin James, fucking shape up. Hitch. Hitch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Except that Odysseus is just so damn proud of himself for his very good escape plan, never mind that getting his crew trapped and eaten was his fault in the first place, that as soon as they're safely on their ship, he yells out to Polyphemus, Hey, you big blind dipshit, my name is actually Odysseus of Ithaca, suck my dickatha. His men are legitimately like, what the fuck are you doing? But Odie's like, it's fine, we're safe, fuck that guy, what's the worst that could happen? As it turns out, the worst that could happen is that Polyphemus just so happens to be the son of Poseidon, 
and screams bloody murder and vengeance to his ocean daddy to curse Odysseus and his voyage, because he knows Odysseus's name now, because Odysseus is an idiot. So that, dear listener, is why Poseidon cursed Odysseus to have the world's shittiest voyage. And it's not over yet. How many more trials and tribulations must they endure? At least five. After escaping Polyphemus, they land on the island of Garlic Aeoli, ruled by Aeolios. I gave up on these names. The god of the winds. He gives Odie a bag of storm winds, leaving only the west wind to blow them back home which is pretty cool. Odysseus, for whatever reason, keeps the contents of the bag a secret from his men. This ends up being yet another bad move, because after nine days of smooth sailing, with Ithaca literally within sight, his men are just so fucking curious about the bag, and so sure that it contains magic treasure or something, because why else would he keep it a secret, right? That they tear it open, let all the wind out, and blow themselves back to the garlic aioli island. (laughs) Fucking idiots. Odie begs the god for more help, and Aeolios is like, literally the only way you could have fucked that one up is if you were cursed by a god, so actually no, I don't want to get involved in this. (laughs) Then they get attacked by ogres, and then they reach the island of... Ay-ya. Ay-ya-ya. Ay-ya-ya. Home of the goddess Circe. She turns half his men into pigs, because why not? But Hermes appears from somewhere. I guess Athena was like on a bathroom break or something. And gives him a special herb that will keep him from being turned into an animal. He fights Circe, overpowers her, and she makes him a deal. No more magical shenanigans, and she'll unpig his men if he has sex with her. Fair deal. (laughs) Before you could say Penelope who? Odie rises to the occasion and gives Cersei what must have been the dicking of a lifetime, because she just chills right the fuck out, and they just hang out and take some me time. About a year's worth. Take some time. (laughs) Treat yourself. (laughs) Sure. When his men want to get buzzed with the lotus eaters, it's, oh, no, we gotta go. We gotta get home. But a magical witch goddess wants your dick, and suddenly we got all the time in the world. Finally, one of Odie's men is like, shouldn't we be trying to get home? You know, like your wife and kid? And he's like, my my who and what now? Oh, shit, right, those things. I have those. Dang. And Cersei tells them that they first must sail to the underworld, because that is apparently a thing you can do, and seek out the prophet Tiresias. And they're like, why? But Cersei has disappeared. In the underworld, Odie sees his dead mom, which is a bummer because he didn't know she was dead, and she conveniently gets him up to speed on the situation back home, what with the suitors and his wife and son. Then they meet Tiresias, who first warns them not to eat some cattle at a place called Thrinacia, and that Odysseus will in fact make it back home, but that he'll have to kill Hella's suitors when he does, and also after that he really needs to get right with Poseidon. Lastly, He's the only one who's going to survive the voyage because all his shipmates are going to die. Bye! The text does not explicitly say this was followed by a long, awkward silence, but I think we can infer it. Finally, Odysseus sees a few of his old war buddies, including Agamemnon, who whines some more about his wife. Like, Jesus, get over it. And our old friend Achilles. Odie's like, oh man, you had so much honor and glory in battle. I bet your death was like the greatest death ever. And Achilles is just like, no. Actually, it sucked. Being dead sucks. I regret basically everything. Nobody's like, oh, 
and then they leave. They actually go back to Cersei's island, and she gets them ready for their voyage, warning Odysseus to plug his ears against the power of the sirens, which he won't do, and sail as quickly as possible when facing a sea monster called Scylla instead of trying to fight it, which he won't do, and reiterates, just for good measure, not to touch those fucking cows at Thernakia, which, well, what happens at that one isn't his fault. So they sail past the sirens, and Odie makes his men no, plug their ears. Coming. <laughs> um, we got we. We got we. So what he does is he makes them tie him to the mast because he wants to hear the sirens, but not you know pitch himself overboard. Coming. They're, yeah, they're just like somebody come fuck this. Titties. Titties. Yeah, it's just some women in the water going titties. We got that wet puss. Oh. <laughs> we got that wet puss. For you. You cannot resist the siren song. <laughs> Smell this. Ew. <laughs> Ew. It smells like fish. And then they barely manage to make it past Scylla, losing six crewmen in the process because Odie forgets he's not supposed to try and fight it. And finally they make it to Thernakia. Odie doesn't even want to land there because of this whole cow thing he keeps hearing about. But the men are like, we just fought a sea monster. Can we please have a break? And he's like, okay, fine. But seriously, these cows belong to the sun god Helios. Do not fucking touch them. They touched the cows. Maybe it was because a prophet told them they were going to die no matter what. And so they figure, well, they'll at least die with some grade A prime beef in their tum-tums. But whatever the reason, as soon as Odie's back is turned... His men cook themselves some steak, and as they leave the island, Helios has Zeus strike the ship with a thunderbolt, killing everyone but Odysseus. He drifts on the remains of his ship for nine days before washing up on Calypso's island and resuming his duties as a dedicated goddess fucker for the next seven years. And now we're all caught up! Goddamn! And the Phaeacians are like, holy shit, dude, you are cursed as fuck! But that doesn't stop them from still giving him a ship and providing him passage home. And again, he's nearly there. He's so fucking close to Ithaca when Poseidon rears his head once more from the waves and is like, he must pay for blinding my beautiful giant one-eyed boy! And decides to be much more straightforward this time and just turns the ship to stone and sinks it. The unsinkable ship sunk. Yeah, they never called it that. I called it that. Okay. But Athena's back from her lunch break, just in time, successfully uh, gets Odie to land, revealing herself to him and telling him all the time she saved his ass during his travels and that now she's going to take it one step further and help him murder 100 or so unwanted house guests. Meanwhile, Telly, remember little Telly? Remember little Telly? He's still sailing back from Sparta when Athena warns him to be all secrety about his return so as not to get suitor murdered. He's instead to meet up at a swineherd's hut, where, although he doesn't know it, Odysseus is waiting for him, disguised as a beggar. Then we get a lot of backstory about this swineherd dude, whose name is Eumaeus, and um, how he knew Odie from way back when, and this whole beggar disguise thing is a test of his hospitality for some reason. If you haven't picked up on it, hospitality and, and treating guests very nicely is a running theme in this story. Homer really wants people to not be dicks to their guests. Because you never know who might actually be Athena in disguise, I suppose. 
Anyway, Telly makes it to Emeos's hut and tells him to tell his mom that he's back home. Odie in disguise is like, oh, you're gonna, you gonna go kick some ass? And Telly's like, dude, there are 108 guys in that house and there is one me. I'm probably gonna get killed. I don't even really know how to fight. I went on a coming of age road trip and mostly just learned how cool my dad was and nothing else. And Odysseus is like, I bet you did. And he reveals himself. His penis? Well, I mean, all, all of himself. Yeah. That he's, he's Odysseus. His penis and his butt. He might. Maybe that's how people know it's really Odysseus. I mean, the thing that they reference the most is that he has a scar on his thigh. And then people see it and they're like, aha, that's how we know he's Odysseus. Because it's, it's been 20 years. Like, he's going to look super different. So the scar is usually his big identifier. But maybe it's his dick. Maybe they see his dick and they go, that's Odysseus. Maybe the scar is of his penis. It's, it's a penis-shaped scar. Yeah, life-sized. <laughs> and, and yeah, so Telemachus is like, yep, that's my dad's dick. And they hug and cry. And then Telly points out that it's still 108 to 2. And Odie's like, listen, son, I have fought and fucked my way across the seas. Nothing can stop me. We have the gods on our side. Mostly. There's one we definitely do not have, but the others seem to like me pretty okay. Word gets out that Telly is back, but Odie's return is still a secret. Telly returns home to his mom and the group of suitors that all deny that they ever wanted to murder Penelope's sweet baby boy, but of course they all are secretly pretty annoyed about it. They're all having a lovely and totally not awkward and weird dinner when disguised beggar Odie wanders in to do some recon, and Telemachus is like, Hello, beggar man I do not know. Would you like some bread? And the suitors are like, Ew, gross, he smells, go away. And then one of them throws a footstool at him. This happens multiple times. The suitors will throw multiple footstools at him on various occasions. Happens. Catch the stool. <laughs> Catch the stool, punk. Now, now, question. Question. Your translations and everything always sounds years later. Yeah. Now, do you think they meant stool like the thing you sit on? Or do they mean poop? No, it, foot stool. Well, stool you stepped in is now footstool. No, I don't think they threw poop at him. Like monkeys. No, I don't know. Then there's a weird scene where another beggar shows up and is mad to see this new guy, like, moving in on his territory, and they get into a fist fight, and everyone's like, boom, fight, boom, fight, and Odysseus just beats this beggar up. Th that's a thing that happens. Like, yeah, I know he's finally fucking back home, and you want to see him kill a hundred dudes and get his wife back, but first, let's watch him break a homeless man's jaw, because reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Then the suitors all get drunk, and while that's happening, Odie goes to Penelope's room, still in disguise, and they do like that, that Princess Bride thing, where Wesley questions Buttercup while, while being the Dread Pirate Roberts to see if she still loves him, which is bullshit, by the way. N not really the Princess Bride, but like this here, because like, okay, you could very easily make the argument that Calypso, she was holding Odysseus captive, and she was using magic to get her fuck on with him, and that that was not a consensual situation for Odysseus. But he hung out and very willingly played hide the Euro with Circe for a full fucking year. So who is Odysseus to be all, ooh, better make sure my wife hasn't messed around in the 20 years I've been gone and presumed dead? It's a dick move. Dick. Why does she have to have been faithful when he's been getting strange? And even so, she's all, oh, strange beggar man, I miss my husband. He's been gone for 20 years, and these suitors are so fucking annoying, and I'm getting real desperate here. And he keeps lying about who he is, but says he's seen Odysseus, and he's definitely coming soon. And she's like, uh-huh, yeah, sure. 
And then she tells him that she's so sick of dealing with the suitors that tomorrow she'll present to them a winner-takes-all contest. Whoever can string Odysseus's old bow and shoot an arrow through 12 consecutive axe heads gets to marry her. Because that's how you make those kind of decisions. Yeah. The next day arrives, and I think we can all guess what happens next. What happens next? Do, do you think you can guess what happens next? Nope. No? Not even a little? More sex. No. He reveals himself again. I mean, eventually, but not, not immediately, no. He anally douches getting ready for the wife. You're skipping, you're skipping ahead a bit. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. The next day, Penelope gets out her husband's big-ass bow, and none of these weak-ass motherfuckers can even string it, let alone shoot an arrow through 12 axe heads. Then, of course, our lowly beggar is all, Oh, let me try. And in the background, Telemachus tells his mom and her maids to maybe go upstairs for a while, and don't come down even if they hear what sounds like lots of murder. Odie, of course, strings the bow and shoots the arrow with zero difficulty and is like, Boom! I'm actually Odysseus! Eat shit! And then probably shows them his dick. And proceeds to shoot several suitors with arrows. Then Telemachus grabs a couple servants loyal to Odie and they spear some more suitors. And then Athena appears and is like, Blood! Which, as we learned in Troy, is usually Hera's gig, but she's really feeling this. And before you can say, Wow, you just killed a shit ton of dudes, 108 bodies have hit the floor. Then Odie's like, uh, we should probably clean this up. And a maid is like, yeah, and we should probably clean you too because you are just caked with blood. And he's just emphatically like, no, the blood stays. Whoa. It, it, which is gross. Which Achilles also did in the Iliad. I don't know what's up with that where it's like, no, no, the blood stays. So it, it, that's gross. Penelope comes down to find all the suitors conveniently dealt with and a man standing around claiming to be her husband. She doesn't believe him at first, but she does this test about this special bed that he made for her. That she's like, well, if you say you're Odysseus, I guess you could spend the night outside my room in this bed that, you know, he made for us. And he gets really angry. He's like, he's like, what? Who moved my special bed? Because he had built this bed for the two of them around like a, an olive tree so that it couldn't be moved. And since she realizes like, oh, he knows that. So he really is my husband. Because his dick was not enough of a giveaway for her, I guess. Gotta know more. And so, yeah, she, she knows it's him now. And they go upstairs explicitly to bang it out. Because poor Penelope fucking deserves some of that good dick. God damn it. It's been too long. It has. But it's been practiced. <laughs> it has. Uh, we then see the suitors in the underworld get approached by Achilles and Agamemnon. Like, hey, what are you in for? And they explain that they were murdered by Odysseus, and Aggie's like, ah, sucks to be you. Which, frankly, is a hilarious scene to have in there. Like, it's not enough for the shitty suitors to be brutally murdered by essentially two dudes. They also immediately get roasted by ghosts upon entering the realm of death. <laughs> it's fucking great. It happens. <laughs> However, the townspeople of Ithaca are not super stoked at Odysseus rolling back into town 20 years later and casually killing 108 dudes and are almost ready to kill him over it. And Odie's like, I'll murder you guys too. I don't give a shit. I'm crazy. Athena asks Zeus to do something about it and he's like, I absolutely do not care. So Athena, for what has to be the 50th fucking time, goes down there herself and takes care of it by straight up lying and saying to stop fighting and be peaceful or Zeus says he'll come kick their asses. It's like, it's true. He he told me. He said so. Don't don't check with him yourself. It works. And everyone agrees to chill the fuck out. 
The end. So they chill. They chill. And that's the Odyssey. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. It's it's a journey, as you might expect. It's always a journey. It is. We'll dip into adaptations real quick. And I don't really need to... I feel like I don't need to state the cultural impact of, of the fucking Odyssey. I think we made that fairly clear in the beginning. Um, much like with the Iliad, I'll mostly just be cherry-picking notable or otherwise interesting adaptations. First, in the literature category, it's not an adaptation per se, but in the Inferno book of Dante Alighieri's self-insert fanfiction, better known as the Divine Comedy, Dante creates a different ending for Odysseus when he meets him in the Eighth Circle of Hell and learns that Odie never returned to Ithaca and now just spends an eternity adventuring with no end. So, at some point, Dante read the Odyssey and was like, I don't like the part where he comes home to his wife. He's just gonna adventure forever. Yeah. Yeah. Don't quite know what to make of that. Eventually, we're gonna have to do the Divine Comedy. That's gonna be another multi-part thing where I go insane. And then in 1922, we have the publishing of Ulysses by James Joyce, a modernist retelling of the Odyssey following a day in the life of Leopold Bloom, our modern analog of Odysseus. Uh, So the idea of taking, like, the mythic and shrinking it down to sort of the everyday, you know, just, like, this dude going about his day in Dublin is, you know, it's a pretty cool concept and it's extremely modernist in this idea of like gods, monsters, and heroes and now it's just this guy just just trying to do his thing. But also it is a James Joyce novel which means stream of consciousness experimental prose that makes you want to beat your head against a wall. But also there are puns. Why do you say that like it's a good thing? I don't know. Because it's James Joyce. You reach a point where it's like, well, I guess there's a pun that's better than the rest of this. There's a butt joke in there, I guess. Do you have to read Ulysses? I don't know. You don't know? (laughs) No. I stole that poster from school of him. You did. I don't know why you did that. Because that's how I lived my life. Yeah, because yeah. you wanted a poster of a dude who wrote letters about how he really wanted his wife to, like, fart on his face. That's pretty 2020. <laughs> Way before his time, he oh, knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From 1998, uh, there's Daniel Wallace's novel, Big Fish, a novel of mythic proportions, which is about a young man trying to separate truth from lie about his father's life. It's kind of a mishmash of, like, American Tall Tales and The Odyssey and James Joyce's adaptation of The Odyssey. And also a little bit The Twelve Labors of Hercules. There's a lot going on. And this is what inspired the band, Real Big Fish. Yes. I've never read it, but I did see the 2003 film adaptation by Tim Burton. And I remember it being one of, like, the last decent Tim Burton movies. Corpse Bride. Yeah, that was the only other one after it that was good. That's why I said one of the last. I think Corpse Bride was the last. Uh, Sweeney Todd's maybe not great. No, it's not even good. I disagree with you there. You're allowed, but you're wrong. You're wrong. It's my hot take. It's my hot hot Sweeney Todd take. Big Eyes was okay. Big Eyes was not. You watched Big Eyes (laughs) and you told me it was bad. I haven't even seen Big Eyes. You told me. (laughs) (laughs) You told me don't watch this. It's bad. In 2005, as part of a series of novellas where contemporary authors, like, rewrite ancient myths, Ono the Class alum Margaret Atwood published The Penelopead. The Penelopead? Penelopead? That. Which, as you might guess from the title, is the Odyssey from the point of view of Penelope, which she absolutely deserves. 
Some things she talks about include immediately seeing through Odysseus's beggar disguise, but going along with it anyway, and, and being really pissed off at Helen for essentially taking her husband away from her for 20 years. Whether or not that's actually Helen's fault, you know, that's up for debate, but we're getting, you know, Penelope's side of the story here, which is an interesting thing to do. On film and TV, there's a 1954 film adaptation called Ulysses with Kirk Douglas, but boring, who cares? I fucking don't. More importantly, in 1981, there was a French-Japanese collaboration anime called Ulysses 31, which was the Odyssey in space. Space, space, space. As we learned with Moby Dick and other stuff I'm sure I'm forgetting, anime loves taking classic works of literature and putting it in space because space, hell yeah. Space, space, space. <laughs> There's a restored version of the English dub on YouTube and oh my god, it does not disappoint. Also, the theme song is a banger. In 1997, there was a TV miniseries that's not particularly interesting, except that Christopher Lee was there, only as Tiresias, but still. Finally, my personal favorite, 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? by the Coen Brothers, which transposes the myth of the Odyssey over Great Depression-era Mississippi, with some good old-fashioned Christian devil imagery thrown in for funsies. George Clooney stars as Ulysses McGill, escaped off a chain gang and dragging two hapless chain buddies with him as they encounter send-ups of the Sirens, the Underworld, the Cyclops, Tiresias, and also even getting changed into animals. Kind of. It's a great movie. Probably my favorite Coen Brothers movie, and easily one of their most fun. Definitely worth checking out. And that brings us to the part of the episode that we always get to, which is, hey... I'm so horny. Yep, that's the party episode we always get to when you are just so unbelievably horny. And I'm like, are, but are you horny for literature? Usually not. No. And it just, it's uncomfortable for everyone involved, but mostly me. Sup, that, listeners. No. How you doing? Oh, God, no. They <laughs> Especially you. Yeah, you. How you doing? Hello, welcome to Own Only Class, where listening implies consent, I guess. <laughs> I got you. Listen to my siren song. Um, the Odyssey. Good or bad? <laughs> it's not quite like you remembered it. <laughs> I think my version's better, but I, I would like to think that I just kind of improved upon the original, that I'm my own storyteller. You're your own Nicholas Sparks? Yes, and so in the future, <laughs> people won't know. Was it RJ? Was it Nicholas Sparks? Who knows? But it had to be one of those two luminaries. Oh, God help us all. My version got the lady with the snake hair, some fur coat. What? What is the fur coat? In your brain, was there a purpose to the fur coat? Or did you just think, there's a fur coat in this story? Oh, it's the golden coat. No, that's a golden fleece. It's a sheepskin. It's not a coat. No one wears it. What do you do with a golden fleece then? I don't remember. You, you wear like a shawl. No, I don't think so. I think it's just there. I think it's just a thing. I don't think anyone wears it. What do you do with it? You hang it on the wall? I don't remember. I have not read Jason the Argonauts in a really, 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 really long time. So apparently the fleece is symbolic? Yeah, the fleece is a symbol of authority and kingship. So you kind of go around and be like, yo, you see how badass I am? 
Check out my fleece, and he kind of throw it in people's face. So you were thinking fleece like a like a fucking puffer jacket. Yeah, <laughs> I would wear it. Jesus Christ! I don't know why this guy's dragging it on the ground. Jason, <laughs> jerk. Anything else you want to add? The story comes around from around uh, Homer's time, so I can see where this all runs together. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I actually prefer the Iliad. What? Yeah. Explain yourself. War, Troy, Brad Pitt. What more do I need? No, 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 no. You, you need more. You need more than just saying war Brad Pitt. No, no, I don't. Yes, you do. How do you prefer the Iliad over the Odyssey? War Brad Pitt. Hey, Megan. When you read it, Brad Pitt isn't there. He's there in my mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> Brad Pitt's in a lot of stories in my mind. The Iliad being just one. I don't think we could be friends anymore. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. The Odyssey. Mm-hmm. How well did you tolerate it? I think it's a lot more fun than the Iliad. I think you're an insane person. There's adventuring and monsters and sexy goddesses. And Odysseus is kind of a dipshit, but in like a weirdly likable sort of way. He's, he's clever when he wants to be. He has his moments. The falling action, once he gets back to Ithaca and is in disguise, kind of drags. Because all the exciting shit is over and we're just waiting for him to murder the damn suitors already. And instead we have to suffer through like the whole testing your wife in disguise because she can't know it's you for some reason. There's a lot of... For some reason, logic in this story. But in all fairness, I imagine a good bit of that has to be chalked up to it being thousands of years old and all. But, like, overall, it's the quintessential epic journey story. And you can't really go wrong with that. It's the road trip. It's the, you know, the dangerous travels. The the epic quest sort of thing to get back home. It's like the, uh, the one with the dogs. Homeward Bound. It's like Homeward uh, Bound, but but they're people. Homeward Bound is like the better version of the Odyssey, is what I'm trying to say here. So who was Shadow? Menelaus. I don't remember the other animals' names. I bet you most people don't either, because Shadow's the guy. Well, Shadow is, and wasn't Shadow voiced by um, Mustache? Sam Elliott. Is Shadow voiced by Sam Elliott? I have Elliot? no idea. And, okay, wait, wait, wait. I do remember, because the cat's name was Sassy, I think? And then the dog, who are, the other dog is Michael J. Fox. I know I know that. What was his name? Spike? You think Spike? Here, I'm already pulling it up. Chance. The cat was sassy, and it was Sally Field. Dog's name is Chance. It's Don Amici. Oh. Amici. Don, Don, Amici? Amici? That's not Sam Elliott at he all. He does have a mustache, though. Yeah, so, Odyssey. Good. Better than the Iliad. I think people who like the Iliad better than the Odyssey. Okay, I'm not going to say you're not valid, but you need to come at me with like a very detailed explanation as to why that doesn't involve just saying Brad Pitt. That's that's not enough. I need more. That's plenty. I don't need to explain myself. (laughs) Yes, you do. But that would take far too long, and that's about all that we have time for now on this episode of Oh No Lit Class. If this is something you enjoy, leave us a review, subscribe, spread the word, tell your friends, tell your family, tell the people and gods that you may encounter on your long tenure journey to get back home. Be like, hey Cyclops, before I blind you, check out this podcast. It's pretty good. But but tell them your name so they won't be like, hey, who recommended you this podcast? And they'll be like, nobody.
You can follow us on Twitter at Pod. You can join our Facebook group. Uh, we're on Tumblr. We're trying to post on Instagram at Class. We'll see how that goes. This Instagram is hard and I don't like it. And all of that. All of that. Every, every all of the things is at onolickclass.com. Our next episode will be on June 25th. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Bye. Bye, Brett Pitt. Bye, Brett Pitt. Brett Pitt. Goodbye, Brett Pitt. Goodbye, Brett Pitt. Brett Pitt, come to my island. Hey, Brett Pitt, come, come fuck this. Come fuck this. I got, I got an island. Brett Pitt. I got my things. Check out these titties. My big wet pussy. Megan, I know you want to do it. What? I know you want to do it. Do what? I'm a man <laughs> of constant sorrow. No, that's not even how to do it. I am a man of constant sorrow. sorrow. I've seen, seen troubles on my, my days. days. I bid farewell to, to old Kentucky, Kentucky, the place the where, where I was born and raised. The place where he was born and raised. Okay, you gotta stop there. Yeah, I'm gonna stop there because I'm sure that that is horrendous to listen to.